All right. Uh, hi, I'm Emily, and this is my husband, Ben. Um, we did grow up here. Also, I feel very weepy today. So uh, I don't, since we had prayer meeting, and I've just been weepy ever since. Um, we grew up here, and so it's just special. It's so special. Um, my first mission trip I ever went on with was with Pastor Kevin and Tina to South Africa. And um, I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful to be here. And um, <laughs> he's weepy too, so it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, we love you guys. We love Clausen a whole lot. Um, Jordan was the best man in our wedding. Um, and Josh was my youth pastor growing up. I think, was I part of your first youth group? You said that the other day, and I was like, really? I didn't. That makes a lot of sense, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, my, my dad always says this church helped raise me, and um, y'all did, and so we love you guys. Um, but yeah, so we grew up here. We graduated Central High School in 2014. Um, we were best friends growing up, and then we both moved to Dallas, went to Christ for the Nations Institute, which is a Bible school in Dallas, and um, Ben studied worship, and I studied global missions, because the Lord called me to missions my junior year of high school on, uh, during church camp here at Clawson. And um, so, yeah, Ben's work, we've both worked in ministry for the last seven years. Ben worked in worship, media, um, he made that video, so media, um, and I worked at an anti-human trafficking nonprofit in Dallas, and so that's a little bit about what we've been doing. Uh, six months, well, in 2020, we joined an organization called Kairos Global um, in, to move to Indonesia. And so six months ago, we went to Indonesia, and we're back for a couple months, so we get to be with you guys until January uh, before we go back, and we're moving there full-time in January. Um, that's our team. Uh, we're in Bali, Indonesia, and so, yeah, we... we Cairo says team-based missions, and so we'll be there with the team, and they love Jesus, and we love them a whole, whole lot. And so um, I want to tell you a little bit about our heart for missions and why we do what we do. So in 2016, I went with CF&I, my, the school I went with, to um, a trip to Southeast Asia. On that trip, we worked with these refugees who walked to us for like three days to come and get supplies. We had food and clothing and stuff for them, um, but we also shared the gospel with them. And there was one church in particular we were at, and there was about, I don't know, 50 to 100 people. I'm really bad at gauging numbers, but 50 to 100 people there. And we asked them, have any of you ever heard of a man named Jesus? And not one person in the room raised their hand. And I'm looking at 80-year-old women who have never heard of Jesus before, ever, in their whole life. And I just felt really um, sober in that. And I felt wealthy with the gospel, if that makes sense. Like you talk about going to mission trips and you see poverty and stuff like that. And there's that too. But I felt like rich with the gospel and with my knowledge of the Lord. Because I've grown up in church, heard the gospel, heard about Jesus um, twice a week for my whole entire life. And here they are, 80-something years old and have never been told the gospel. And it just felt so wrong. Um, and we are just rich with the gospel and with our knowledge of the Lord and our access to him here. And so, um, yeah, it, we, we got to share the gospel with him for the first time. And that experience marked me, um, to work with what you call an unreached people group. And so a little bit about what a people group is, um, a people group is just somebody, oh, perfect. Um, so a people group 
not an unreached people group, but just a people group, is someone, it's like your own culture, language, way of doing things. So in America, we're kind of a melting pot. So the best example that we have thought of is you have the Cherokee and the Navajo, like Native American tribes. They're two different people groups. Um, They each have their own culture, language, way of doing things. So in the nations, there's a lot more individual people groups. And so an unreached people group is someone with a group of people with inadequate resources or numbers to reach their own group. It's about less than 2% evangelical Christian. If you're under that, then you'd be considered um, an unreached people group. It does not mean unsaved. So you may be thinking, well, there's unreached people here in Lufkin, Texas. Um, There are a lot of unsaved people, but because of the amount of people that would profess to be Christian here, this isn't considered an unreached area. I'm just clarifying because I think there's that confusion. Um, So 42% of the world's population lives within an unreached people group. That is a massive, massive amount of people. And so as the body of Christ, I think that y'all need to know that, that almost half the world's population has little to no access to the gospel. I think we think that the gospel has gone forth in front of the whole world. And it just, the reality is, is it hasn't. Um, That's billions with a B, billions of people who have likely never heard of Jesus before, just like those people I met in Southeast Asia. Um, And we believe Jesus's life is worthy of more than that. Um, Part of the reason why I was so weepy this morning is because I was just praying in our prayer meeting. I was like, Lord, you're so much worth, you're worthy. You're worthy of people knowing about you. You came and you lived your life and you died and you resurrected, ascended, and you're coming back again for these people. And who's telling them about you? There's just, there's not many people. So if you feel a call to go, then go. Yes, this is the people groups of the world. Thank you, Ben. Um, So the red dots are the unreached people. And so most unreached people groups live within what you call the 1040 window. It's Northern Africa, Middle East, a lot of Asia. Um, That bottom strip of red dots is Indonesia. So it's in between most of Asia and then Australia. It's in between. Indonesia is 17,000 islands, and it's the fourth most populous nation in the world. It's the largest Muslim nation in the world. The island that we live on is actually a Hindu island, and so most people are Hindu. The Balinese people are Hindu. There's Indonesia, yes. Um, The Balinese people are mostly Hindu. They believe like There's no real separation. So to be Balinese is to be Hindu. They believe that to be American means to be Christian. They don't really know what that means. Um, So they see stuff on Hollywood television and they assume that it's all Christian. Just let that sink in. So just probably like you guys have no idea what Hinduism is. If I were to ask you, can you tell me the name of the God of Hinduism? You probably wouldn't be able to tell me. And that's okay. No need to know it. But... They don't know the name of our gods. They probably have heard of Christianity, but they have no concept for what it is. Um, In Hinduism, they actually worship 33 billion gods. So they believe God manifests himself in everything. And so it's um, very, very different. And so to do ministry there is a long game. It must be relational. It's, uh, It's just different than we do it here. Typically here in America, not bad, just what we do. You come to church, you get saved, you get plugged into the discipleship program, and then you get discipled. What's y'all's discipleship program called? Growth Trek. Or School of Discipleship, right? Yeah. You join that, and that's how it works. There, they're probably not going to come to our church. 
Um, and so we have to disciple them beforehand. And they're not going to come say yes to this man named Jesus who they've never heard of. Um, and they have no concept for what they're saying yes to. So we do a lot of pre-discipleship and then conversion and then more discipleship. Um, we do that creatively through teaching English because everybody wants to learn English um, on the island. I think we have, yeah, there we are. Okay, you can leave that picture up. So we teach English um, and we do it through the Bible. So it's kind of our access ministry. It's something that we all can offer and it's something that they want to learn. Um, we're not there to teach English. It's not what I'm passionate about at all. I want them to hear the gospel. And if that's how they'll listen to me and that's how they'll come, I'll teach English and I'll use the Bible as the textbook. And so that's just creatively how we do that. So you can see like the vocab words are steal, cheat, share, forgive. Um, it tied in with the Bible lesson, obviously. Uh, so yeah, so that's how we do that. We go into, um, we ha- have a 12-week course where we teach English to the Bible. We also go into villages. So I think there's another picture of some kiddos. Yeah, so this is Tabanan. This is a village that we go to every week. Um, <laughs> that is Ben. <laughs> um, all of these kids have given their life to the Lord after, but it was the fruit of a year of teaching them the Bible. And so we taught them for a whole year, and then they gave their life to the Lord, and we're working on, um, yes, amen. We're so thankful. Um, it was... It was really sobering because we were like, wow, this is a lot of discipleship. <laughs> and um, now we are going into their parents' homes and trying to disciple their parents as well. So you can keep praying for that. Um, but yeah, we're, uh, it, it, did, it took a whole year for those kids. And so the reason why it takes so long is because we're not looking for just converts. We want disciples. And conversion, you can... You can likely like try to get a conversion and it sound right and you'd be like, yeah, you got a convert and add it to your newsletter. But um, we want true disciples and that takes a long time for people to actually repent and turn away from Hinduism and renounce their other gods and follow the one true God. And so um, that's what we want. Um, And we want people to know what they're saying yes to when they say yes to Jesus. So we're not trying to be sneaky and be like, yeah, he's amazing. He'll forgive you of all of your sins. You can get healed. We've seen a lot of healings. Um, and so someone, Ben prayed for a guy who was deaf in one ear. His ear opened up, and he could hear. And Ben's telling him the gospel. And you can, you can, add, you can say, like, hey, do you believe Jesus is God? They'll be like, yeah. But then leave it at that and count it. But they've never, you have to, I don't want to tell them afterwards, oh, you have to actually stop worshiping your 33 billion gods. Like, I'm not trying to be sneaky. I want true followers of Jesus. And so... Um, yeah, so Ben's going to share a little bit about, so that's what we do. Um, we'd love to tell you more if you want to learn more later, but Ben's going to share a little bit about like our heart and why we go to Indonesia and like our main driving force. Um, I don't have a ton of time, but hopefully what I'm going to share is worth pushing back your lunch like 10 minutes. I hope that your stomach will survive. Probably will. Um, It's like Emily said, we don't do quick, fast conversion in in Bali. It doesn't work like that. If you really want someone to give up a religion that they've been invested in for their entire life, it takes a lot more than just saying, hey, come follow Jesus. Because they're like, who's that? Um, So we've got these friends. I'm going to change their names because... I care about them and they are our friends, but I do want to tell their story. Um, We're going to call him Andrew 
um, and Rachel. They've been with our team. Uh, they're Balinese, they're Hindu. They've been with our team for over a year now, and they've just kind of been like, Andrew went through our English program and has done Bible studies with some of our guys on the team, and they're very, very interested in becoming Christians, but they haven't actually renounced Hinduism yet and given that up and said that they're going to follow Jesus entirely. And one day I was having coffee with Andrew, and I said, what's your, like, I don't want to be, like, rude, but, like, what's your holdup? Like, what's the thing that's stopping you from saying yes to Jesus and leaving Hinduism? And he said, well, I've only known about Jesus and Christianity for, like, six months or, like, a year, and I'm just not all the way there yet. He said, I'm only, like, 70% ready, but I want to be 100%. He said, if I'm going to give my life to this thing and I'm going to say yes to Jesus, then I want to be 100% all the way in. I don't want to be 70% of the way there. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, you get it. Somehow our friend Andrew, like, gets it. He doesn't want to give just a piece of himself. He wants to give all of himself. And I kind of thought about it like, like a bride and a groom. So let's say we're all at a wedding right now, and there's a bride, or a bride and a groom, and I got married four and a half years ago, I forgot. But the, the groom's up there, and the bride comes in, and they look at each other in the eyes, and the groom goes, I love you with everything. I love you with all of myself. I love you 100%. I'm all the way in. And then the bride just goes, I'm like 70% of the way there. <laughs> How many of you know that, wouldn't have fly, that won't fly at a wedding? You know, it doesn't work like that. But for some reason, I, I mean, I run into a lot of people who just kind of said a prayer at church and then went on and moved on with their life and didn't actually give Jesus everything. But what if we actually counted the cost for what it really meant to follow Jesus? What if we actually gave him 100% of ourselves? I don't want to find myself on the day that he returns looking at him in the face going, I love you like 70%. So I want to do a, something really quick. I want to answer three questions for us today. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 22. We'll have it on the screens as well. Um, we want to be able to give like a deposit into your hearts. Um, not just fill you with knowledge about missions, but actually invest something in you guys. We're going to answer three questions this morning. What is the greatest command in Scripture? It's the first question we're going to answer. The second question is, why is it the greatest command? And the third is what happens when we're living a life where it's not the greatest. Um, so you might be a little bit, you might be thinking to yourself, you're talking about giving 100% of my heart to Jesus, but now you're talking about commands. I don't really understand how does this connect. The greatest command actually has everything to do with love. It actually has everything to do with giving your heart completely to God. And it's not just for me as a missionary. It's not just for Josh as a pastor or Jordan. It's not just for your board. Uh, the greatest command is for everyone from the stay-at-home mom to the average man in the workforce. It's for everybody. No one is exempt from the greatest command. Uh, you'd think as missionaries that the greatest commandment would be the Great Commission. 
And while the Great Commission is great, it is not the greatest command. The Great Commission says, go into all of the nations, teach them, make disciples, teach them everything that Jesus has taught, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's like the Great Commission. And for missionaries, that's like their poster statement. And I love it. And it's so good and it's so great, but it is not the greatest. I don't, I'm not uprooting my whole life in Texas and leaving my family and leaving all of our friends because of the Great Commission. I'm doing this because of the greatest command. Okay? So what is the greatest command? Jesus kind of lays it out for us really simply in Matthew 22. Go to verse 34 with me. When the Pharisees had heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, who was a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, and he said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, this is our first question, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. There's a second one, but we're going to talk about the first one today. So, just give you a little bit of background on what's happening here. Jesus is being put into a corner by Pharisees and Sadducees like always. They're trying to get him because they want to kill him. And one of them is a lawyer. And he has studied the law. He's a lawyer. But hopefully he knows what the law says, right? And he goes, I'm going to get him. And I'm going to ask him, what's the greatest command. What's in all of the law, because he's thinking, I know all of it. In all of the law, what is the greatest command? And Jesus goes, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. He references Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is actually from the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. So you should read the Old Testament, because Jesus likes the Old Testament. So that's the greatest command. That's it. It's pure and simple. That's it right there. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. So let's answer the second question. Why is this the greatest command? This is a good thing just for like you guys to take home with you whenever you're reading the Bible. Ask questions. Ask these questions with you in the Lord. Why is this here? Why is that there? This doesn't make much sense. Help me understand. Why is this the greatest command? If you will, we're going to have it on the screen, but we can go, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. This is what Jesus is quoting when he says, this is the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Now here, Moses is talking, but the Lord is speaking to Moses and Moses is being the mouthpiece for the people. And he says in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. And I'm going to keep reading. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes." you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's this thing that the Lord's trying to do here when he's communicating, love me. He also says, write my ways upon your heart. Talk about me and my ways all the time. Teach my ways. 
Talk about who I am to your children. He's saying, when you lie down, when you do something as simple as like, I lie down at night, or when I rise up in the morning, have my ways in your mouth. Bind them as a sign on your hand and put them as frontlets between your eyes. Everybody take your finger and just stick your finger right here in between your eyes. Now we all look really cool, but there's a point here, a point, power point. There's a point here. So when, when you do this, what can you see? You, you see your finger, right? That's what it means to put a frontlet between your eyes. It literally means right here. God's saying, make my ways right here. Because now everywhere that I look and everything that I see is now seen through this. And he's like, I want you to look at everything in your life and everything that you're doing. I want to be the centerpiece of your whole life. That's what God's trying to get at when he's giving this command. Love me with everything. This is the greatest command. And the reason that it's the greatest is because when we pursue this command, it requires all of ourself. I can't teach his ways to my children and have his ways in my mouth when I rise and when I lie down and when I go to bed at night. I can't have his ways like this in me all the time if I'm not completely consumed by him. If he's not the forefront of everything that I'm doing in all parts of my life, like I have, he has to be the entire like center. He has to be the thing by which everything else is built upon. That's what God's getting at in this. Love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. Love me with everything. And the, what's so great about this is that it gives God what he really wants. What he, just think about that for a second. I don't think, what is it that God wants? What God wants from you is he wants your heart. Okay? God wants your heart. In Psalm 51, Verse 16, David had, David had committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba and then sent, got her pregnant and then sent her husband out on the front line of battle and had him murdered. So David has messed up, if, if I do say so myself. He's missed it a little bit here. And Psalm 51 is his repentance for his wrongs. And in that time, when you did something wrong, if you sinned before the Lord, then you had to take an animal or a sacrifice and then go take that sacrifice to the temple and sacrifice it and burn it. And that was um, the payment for the sin that you had committed. But this is what David says. Psalm 51, 16. I've done this wrong thing, but you will not delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, this is the sacrifice of God. This is the thing that he wants, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These things, oh God, you will not despise. David somehow has this understanding that like, well, 
I've messed up and I've done the wrong thing and I need to take the, the sacrifices to the temple. But what it is that God actually wants is he wants my heart. David receives the title whenever Saul is stripped his anointing as king from the kingdom of, of Israel and Jerusalem. The Lord says, I'm giving the kingdom to someone who's better than you and a man who's after my own heart. And he gives the kingdom of Israel to David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's so fully given to God. David just is like, he, this is Deuteronomy 6. This is him. He's like, your ways, he says in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is David's, um, I describe it as David's love poem to the laws of God. It's the longest psalm in, in the Psalter. And with it being the longest one, it, the whole entire thing is him saying, I love your ways. I love your ways. I love your ways. I wish you'd get these evil people out from around me so that I can do the things that you've commanded me to do. I love your ways. God, I love your ways. Your ways are like honey upon my lips. How can a man walk in righteousness? A young man, how can he walk in righteousness? By following the commandments of the Lord. Like that's his whole thing. He had the commands of God and the ways of God as frontlets between his eyes. His heart is completely given over to the ways of God. He's got to have access to you. Just like, like David, David turned to God at his absolute highest when he's delivered from all of his enemies and Saul stops chasing him around trying to kill him. He's like, I love the Lord. And then whenever he commits adultery and is a murderer, he's like, Lord, I know what you really want is my heart. At David's absolute height and at his absolute low, he's like, my heart is turned to God. In everything, in all things, my heart is turned to God. This requires a heart that is fully loving him. Amen. The heart behind Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, it's, it's not about commandments and check marks. It's about loving God so fully that his ways, that he himself becomes the centerpiece of our life. This is the answer to our second question. Why is loving God the most important command? It's because it takes all of you and he wants all of you. Um, and really quickly, we're going to look at Matthew 23 and answer our last question, which is what happens when we live a life where this is not the greatest thing? Because it is possible to live a life um, where the greatest commandment is not the greatest commandment for you. And that's kind of a sad place to get into. Um, so in Matthew 22, Jesus is being questioned, and he has this lawyer say, what's the greatest commandment? And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And then Matthew 23, Jesus starts to confront the heart of the Pharisees. He starts to confront what's happened because they haven't made loving God the most important thing for their life. Jesus says about the Pharisees, if you love God, then you would love me. But they hated Jesus, so they obviously didn't love God. So in verse 25, 
Psalm, uh, sorry, Matthew 23, verse 25. Jesus says, woe to you. We're just looking really quickly. I just want you to hear that um, I'm not here this morning to throw shade or condemn any one of you because you're, who in here says, you, you say Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life? then you're a brother and a sister and I'm not here to condemn you. But there is so much more that is available for your life whenever your life is fully given to Jesus. And what I don't want is for you to become like what I'm about to read. So Jesus says in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup and the plate that the outside might also be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites again. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly have this beautiful appearance, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous, righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is what happens whenever the first commandment is not the first thing in your life. This is it. Because the Pharisees, they, like, they, they loved the laws of God, but they didn't actually love God. So their hearts became far from God. But I see this, it's, it's not about, like, it's not a ministry thing. It's not like a church person, uh, like, a, like a person that works in a church deal. I see this in people who, just like he says right here, outwardly you appear righteous to others. You do the stuff. You perform the things. You, you go to the temple. You give your tithe and you give your offerings. You pray. You do the Christian thing. You have this outward appearance of righteousness. This is me sometimes. I have this outward appearance of like, I'm so righteous. Like, come down here on Sunday morning and, and see me doing like, I love you, Jesus. And on the inside, I'm like, but I'm so much more spiritual than that person next to me. Oh my gosh, they're just worshiping him so wrong. Or like, have a fight with Emily and my heart just be full of filth before I come in. And I have this outward appearance of like, man, Ben is righteous. Ben's looking good. Ben's a missionary. Oh, well, yeah, no, that guy, he, uh, he's on the church board. That person volunteers all the time. They do their devotionals and they do the thing and like, you look like you have this wonderful outward appearance of righteousness, but is your inside actually clean? On the inside, do you actually love God? If someone were to sit on you, would you bleed filthiness and dead man's bones, or would you bleed Jesus? I have such a desire for every one of you that's in here that you would actually love God with your whole heart. 
Because this is what happens when you don't. Jesus calls them hypocrites. This is, this is not a message about, like, it's not about working harder. It's not about doing more. You can volunteer as much as you want and your heart still be filthy and not love him fully. Because he's like, I want, I want all of you. I want you to talk about me all the time. I want my ways to be in your mouth all the time. I want you to think about me when you lie down and when you rise up. I want you to tell your children about me. I want your whole heart and your whole soul, your whole mind. God is not a quarter pie kind of person. He wants the whole thing. And it's not about, it's, you, can't, you can't like work harder to do this. You can't, I can't verbally manipulate any one of you into getting into a place where you're like, yeah, I want to love God more. It's not, it, you can't, it's not about trying harder. I actually, I had, I had practical tips on how to love God more. And then I thought, well, I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose. It's... <laughs> Because, like, I can tell you, I can tell you what I do, but I want your heart to be lit, uh, like, lit on fire and let the Spirit awaken you to see. Just ask yourself the question, am I actually loving him fully? Um, so it's not about working. It's not about trying harder. If you have the realization that the greatest commandment isn't the greatest commandment in your life, then all it means is it's just room to grow. There's a guy that I listen to a lot. His name is Mike Winger. And he, he said this, uh, he posted this yesterday. It was so timely. He said, repent isn't a bad word. It's a hopeful word. When we hear repent, we're also hearing your life can change. You your life can change. I'm so nervous for so many people that they think that religious people's lives can change. Your life can change. You can do better. It's not too late and there is hope. This is just a message to, it's an invitation to ask ourselves the question, do I actually love him with my whole heart? And if, you know, when I look at my life, am I actually pursuing the greatest commandment? Which is to love him with everything. Our friend Andrew wasn't content with giving 70% of his heart to God. And Jesus isn't really content with getting 70% either. Um, I'm going to pray, but first I just want to tell you guys um, that at the beginning of time, God made everything. He made all of it. With the power of his words, he made everything. And he made humanity too. And he decided to make all of us in his image. 
We are a special creation because we weren't made with words. God got down with his hands and formed us and made us in his image. But then we decided that we didn't want to obey him completely. And so because of our sin, we separated ourselves from God. But then God said, I love them and I want them back. And I'm not content with having this sin separate the two of us. So I'm going to send my son into the earth, myself in flesh. I'm going to send myself into the earth to live a perfect life that none of them could live. And I'm going to die on a cross for them so that we can be joined back together again. At the beginning of time, man and God walk side by side in the garden And Jesus came and gave his life so that man and God could walk side by side again. And he did it because he loves us. He did it because he desires us. Do we actually desire him? Um, Josh, I'm going to let you do this altar call, but I do want everyone to take a second to close your eyes and just for 20 seconds, ask yourself the question, do I love him fully? Am I a greatest commandment person? If you evaluate your heart and you decide that's not me, don't listen to the the words of the enemy. Really get real with Jesus. If you evaluate yourself and you say, no, actually, that's not me, there is place to repent. And Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who repents, I will come in and dine with them. That's what we want for you. So, Josh... To give it up for Ben and Emily. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me. Worship team, if you guys would get ready. Hey, listen, before we do our prayer time and people start to leave, I just want to give you how you can partner with Ben and Emily really quickly. Um, number one is you can give a gift, offering. They always could use finances. Or you can partner with, so number one is you could give them a gift today, either through the church or at their table. They'll be at their table in just a minute. Uh, You can go that route. Number two is you could partner with them monthly. Our church is going to partner with them monthly. You can partner with them monthly. You can do that through the church or you can do that through um, their organization. Go, go, definitely go stop and, and ask whatever questions you want to ask. Get whatever info you want to get from them at their table. Uh, number three, y'all, this is probably the biggest, is you can partner with them in prayer. Partner with them in prayer. As you can see, they're hardcore about sharing the real, genuine, authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. Not some halfway thing that we've created but the real gospel of Jesus in Indonesia, and we want to partner with that and partner in prayer, and I'm going to keep you guys up to date with what's going on in their lives. But listen, there was two big pieces kind of that, that I got um, that I would like to open up a, a prayer time for, 
And so if our altar team would step out and come to the front in just a second, we're going to sing a song together. And as we sing this song, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a second, we're going to sing this song. Listen, Emily said something that I think is huge. She said she got her calling. Does God still call people? Yes, he does. She got her calling to do missions work at a camp at Clawson. I believe that there are some people that are here right now that you are not walking in your calling and God has called you to do something awesome. And so if you're here and you're searching for what God has called you to do and you're, you're wanting to give him all and receive the calling that he has for you, in just a second, when we open up this altar time, would you step out and come and just share that that's what you're searching for, that's where you're at, that God would, would, would share with you where it is, the vein that he, in his body that he wants you to dive into. And then the second piece, Ben talked a lot about evaluating yourself. If you're here today and you're, and you're feeling more like Andrew, like I, I've, I've been given 70% or I've been okay with giving 70% or if you know that you have not been giving God 100% and you want to change that today and you say, I'm ready, I'm ready to make that commitment to give him everything, all of me, not half of me, not 70%, not 75%, I want to give him all of it. I want to give him my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole mind with every head bowed and every head closed as we dive into this song. Altar team, if you're here, would you come? If you want prayer, would you step out and come right now? We'd love to pray for you.